if you hear something brewing in the background, it is not my cauldron. It is a cup of tea. <laughs> Welcome to your vision board blows. <laughs> and for any of us who lean towards skeptical, if not full blown asshole, welcome, sit down, pour yourself a cup of tea or better yet, mix up a martini. Let's, let's muse on vision boards and really visioning because that's the goal, right? I wildly enough, and I feel like such a pompous fuck for saying this, but I've done everything I wanted to do. I've achieved everything I set out to achieve. So I'm going to walk you through that. And it's so funny how every cell in my body screams, like, don't big up yourself. Don't celebrate your wins. And I get, I don't know, I get reflected back like, oh, you're so successful. You're so on top of it. That is not true. (laughs) The on top of it part, at least. But this idea of goal setting and visioning and vision boarding and imaginal techniques and manifestation and strategy and blah, blah, blah. blah. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all just trying to, to get ours, right? What works, what doesn't, what feels good. Oh, there's my tea. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't know that it was going to do that. Finding how you can do what you want to do is crucial. And that process is going to change. It's going to evolve just like everything else. And so when you find yourself spinning your wheels, getting super fucking frustrated, getting pissed off, projecting all over the place, blaming life, circumstance, people, situations, um, you know, whatever you were doing before might need an update. No hard feelings. Uh, it's probably time. <laughs> To, you know, pull the audience, find your experts, maybe start listening or reading to some new people. You're going to go grow past your teachers, your coaches, your mentors, your parents, your caretakers, your family, your advisors. It's all about like, how are you going to, how are you going to get what you want? Let's just start with the, the, the name of this episode, like vision boarding, like that has never resonated with me and I've done it and I've tried to get creative with it. I've done it on Pinterest. I've created like journals and it's like, sometimes it's super fun to just, you know, sift through a bunch of magazines. If those are even still a thing, like where do you even find magazines anymore? I don't know. Pinterest works well for me on, you know, Google images and you can kind of create these sort of dashboards of things that you want to see or a poster of what you, what you want to see in your life. And that's cool. But you know, staring at a bunch of pictures isn't going to get you a fucking mansion or a yacht or an exotic vacation or, you know, a fucking Brazilian butt. (laughs) So, uh, what is it? Why do we do that? Why is that such a thing? And when you are stuck in circumstance, whatever that might be for you, it is useful to dream and to get out of it. And something I like to do is what I call the ideal day exercise. I did not make this up but I can't even like find a reference point for it because it's something that so many different coaches and advisors and gurus use. One of the challenges of being in a really, really hard place, whether it's circumstantial, you're sick, a loved one is sick, you've just lost a job, the economy is just tanked and your retirement fund took a dive, you know, whatever it might be that you're going through. And I'm sorry if that's where you're at. I really am. It is almost impossible to see out of that. One of the psychological constraints of suffering is that it's incredibly insular. You are isolated. You feel like you're all by yourself. No one can understand. Your brain is telling you that you have to 
separate yourself from the pack. You're the, the weakest link, right? That's, that's a different episode. I'm not going to get into that, but the, the thoughts are spiraling. They're compounding. And so when we move into survival mode, we start looking for evidence that everything is going to fail, that we're going to stay stuck and keep suffering. Cause that's how you stay alive. And that your brain was programmed tens of thousands of years ago to do that when like a rustle at a bush meant giant, weird reptilian thing that would eat us and kill us or potentially just another one of us. <laughs> and so that programming is deep. It is old. It takes a long time to rewire in the interim. You know, you might be listening to your boss tell you that you're being laid off and your brain goes, well, this is what happens every time there's a financial turn. And then you think about every job that you might've been fired from. And, you know, you've wanted, you might have your side hustle, you might have your business going and your brain's telling you, there's no way that's going to be enough. There's no way you're going to be able to sustain yourself or your family, you know, so on and so forth. So we're spiraling out, we're compounding. That is only ever going to leave us feeling worse. And sometimes it might give us a little bit of fight, a little bit of fire, a little bit of blame, a little bit of externalization of this experience. And that can create some action and some change, but it's generally not very sustainable and it's not going to get the results that we really want, this sort of growth and expansion. Vision boarding is actually useful in those moments where you can kind of get yourself out of your existing situation, environment, scenario. You can look at pretty pictures. You can focus on different aspects of your whole life. So again, it's going to get you out of this hole. I didn't want to repeat myself, but no other word jumped in, that you're in. And help you like kind of climb out and just like keep your head up and see, oh, look, like this is what health could look like, or this is what a house could look like, or this is what travel could look like, or this is what community could look like, or spirituality or success or financial security, right? Helpful, but you can't stop there. And I don't, I don't actually think anyone does. I just wonder if there are other techniques out there that are way more productive in terms of visioning. There are thousands, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to go through a couple of my favorites. Back when I started my first business, I was 23 years old. I was living in a completely foreign country and full disclaimer, everyone thought I was a raging asshole. <laughs> like uh, when you take an American outside of their comfort zone, they tend to like double down on being super loud, overly confident. It's just like, I mean, it's like all of the stereotypical things that I think were prejudice, like why people hate Americans. Like instead of being like, Oh, let me, let me, um, grow some awareness and compassion. And around this, I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to step like full blown into this character. And I had many people in my new country of Australia tell me that they didn't want to spend any time with me and they didn't want to hang out with me. And I was way too obnoxious. And after I got feedback for like the eighth time, I decided that even though this country spoke my same language and consumed the same media and essentially wore the same clothes, I was still in a very, very foreign environment and it would probably behoove me to shut the fuck up and learn something. So I actually did. With that, I was able to dive deep into my studies. I was studying audio engineering and I performed incredibly well, which enabled me to get an amazing opportunity at a at a commercial recording studio that I knew in the United States, I would never have had the opportunity to do for a variety of different reasons. And so I extended my visa at the time and just threw myself into work and, and humbling myself and deciding that this was something that I did not yet know how to figure out or the skills that I had up until that point were no longer serving me. So it was really time to start practicing and observing 
first and foremost. So there's, there's a lot more in that, but we'll leap to the part where then I started my own studio with a business partner. I then started a record label with my brazen confidence. I was able to kind of secure a, a couple different partnerships and deals that were outlandish. Once again, would never have had the opportunity in the United States, but I just kind of rocked up to Sony records and I was like, Hey, give us a distribution deal, which I'm not even going to disclaim that. So I started, I suddenly found myself in business way out of my comfort zone, definitely out of my league and went into, you know, the, I'd studied business and communication and had been aware that five-year planning is a thing. Um, Every year I kind of read seven habits of highly effective people. My dad gave it to me when I was 18, when he also, you know, sort of patted me on the bum and said, you're on your own kid. And it talks about five-year planning and there's this much fabled study that is actually completely bullshit. When I did the research, I realized this thing doesn't even exist, which is why I'm, I am not going to cite studies and data and research on this podcast. You can do your own. You will find, you will find more than enough scientific fact to back up any fucking opinion that you have. So more importantly than even doing the research, test it, test if this stuff works for you. Do not take my word for it. You are your best advisor, strategist, and leader. So uh, with that, I did a five-year plan. And up until then, I had really poo-pooed five-year plans. I thought they were completely fucking bullshit. Um, But this plan, this study suggested that, and I can't remember if it was Harvard or Yale, but essentially if everyone who had gone through the Harvard MBA system, the 80% of people who created a five-year plan were more successful than everyone else who didn't combine. And of the 80% who created a five-year plan, those who used specific targets, wrote it down, created accountability, the 5% that did that were more successful than the other, you know, 80% combined. And again, I'm probably butchering this. Uh, It doesn't matter because it was completely make-believe. You've probably heard it as well. It's one of the most cited studies in academics and on the internet. If you like Google the Harvard study for five-year planning, you'll, you'll find 15 different articles about it. And then somewhere on like the eighth page of Google, you'll see that there's actually like no study actually existed, but that was enough for me at the time. And I wrote out a five-year plan and it had to do with my financial security, my personal development, my physical health, and the, some of my interpersonal relationships, um, I, I mean, I was like essentially estranged from my family, but because I was, you know, on the other side of the world, I, you know, created the plan and then just kind of got to work. Three years later, I looked up and I realized I had crossed off every single thing on that list. It kind of blew my mind. And it taught me that with a little bit of vision, with a little bit of guidance. And by guidance, I mean metrics. Like I, I, I picked specific numbers, you know, how much I wanted to weigh or how much money I wanted to earn, how many employees I wanted to have, what my business would look like in terms of a physical location. Um, the other thing that slapped me across the face was although I had crossed off everything on the list, the reality of it was obscenely different than what the vision had been. And it taught me, you know, get, be specific, <laughs> be careful what you ask for. Right. Because the reality of it was that I was working like a hundred hours a week. It 
was something I could sustain because I was in my twenties and I loved, loved, loved every single thing that I did. You know, I kind of did it completely backwards where I worked full time through college. And then by the time I finished college, I was like, I don't want to sit behind a computer for the rest of my life. I've already done that. So I've never done, and I was working at an independent music organization and they're phenomenal. I will never, ever, ever underestimate how much that shaped my future and my life, even though I was a raging asshole the whole time I worked there. So um, it's pretty hilarious paradox. Like, oh my God, I can't even imagine being my boss. (laughs) Such a fucking punk. Like I can remember my uh, supervisor at the time, Chewy, and who has also gone on to, I mean, the people that I work for are like the leaders in the industry right now. It was pretty amazing. It was an amazing place to incubate. But she would ask me to do stuff and I would straight up just be like, that's stupid. Like, you're fucking dumb. <laughs> and granted, I was not incorrect and I would always present it with a solution and, you know, not to big up myself, but it was usually a better way of thinking about things. But man, the communication was volatile. So yeah, I, I you know, I was 27 years old with my first property and office, employees, uh, business, And I was like, this is not, this is not what I meant. So I did it again, did another five-year plan. And by, in two years, I had knocked off everything on the list. And again, didn't, it didn't feel the way that I thought it would make me feel. I thought by owning multiple businesses at that point, I had just finished my MBA and I had done that program at the Sydney Opera House. It was unfucking believable. I was working with the people who, when I had first moved to Australia were like, like my luminaries, like, okay, who looks after the coolest bands, who has the best deals, who has their own, you know, label and publishing and, you know, picked a couple names. I mean, there, there wasn't like, there are amazing, amazing people in Australia that the, like any industry, once you get to that sort of top upper echelon, there's not, there's not a lot of people. And then I look at who's really authentic, who's putting themselves out there in a way that I can align with who's, you know, like when they do a keynote at a conference, like, am I, am I saving that and going back to it repeatedly, you know, that, that level of sort of impact and service and authenticity and leadership, there's, there's just not a lot of people. And then those became the people I was surrounding myself with. And it, I remember going to an event with like the, the top players in the Australian music industry and just thinking like, how the fuck did I get here? And again, like, I don't feel like the person that deserves this. So I started to change my planning and I, I will never underestimate the power of a five-year plan. If that's something that works for you, or if you've not done it before, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And what I, I need to start like writing down these books that I suggest, but that feels like work and this isn't meant to be work. So Stephen Covey's highly effective seven habits of highly effective people. It's a little bit Mormon, (laughs) but the, if you haven't stepped out the real kind of white capitalist planning, it's certainly worth a gander. Uh, So then I kind of, I started to really narrow rather than looking at like five-year life goals. It was like, okay, where, where do I want this particular business to be in the next year? Where do I want it to be in three years? And really looking at, I call it reverse engineering. So if I want to be traveling, you know, at the time I was really getting into touring, I knew I needed to be on the road like six to nine months. I, I knew how much that cost. 
I knew the kind of financial investments that bands needed in order to really uh, go from, you know, emerging artist to sustainable, um, sustainable artist. And so I, like money was a, is, is a metric for me. So I just started to reverse engineer. Well, if we need this, this type of top line revenue in order to achieve these goals, then in three years, then this is what needs to be happening in one year. And like, you know, really kind of looking at how can I kind of bring that into my businesses, let alone my life. Also community and networking. I had thought that if I just put my head down and got my work done, that that would be enough. And I realized it really is all about relationships. So putting myself out there, another, oh, I never really even got into the ideal day exercise. I'll get back to that one because that's kind of how I transitioned out of the music industry. So reverse engineering became a really powerful tool for me. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still picking a vision that I'm working towards I'm just creating some strategy and daily activity. I remember reading once that, you know, 1% improvement compounded over years with 365% improvement. That's huge. And so doing, you know, taking just one little step each day can actually create massive change. And I think we've all also heard, you know, we underestimate what we can achieve in six months. No, we overestimate what we can achieve in six months and grossly underestimate what we can achieve in six years. So it's just this idea that once you kind of have something on the horizon, you can start moving towards it. Reverse engineering is still one of my most favorite techniques, especially when it's something I have no idea how I'm going to do it. I just kind of pick a couple goalposts and then I start working backwards, which will generally give me at least what I need to be thinking about every week and every month moving towards it. Once you've built that trust muscle, once you know I'm actually capable of doing anything, And all I have to do is say, this is what I want. There are a variety of ways of unpacking that. So sure, like vision board, cool. I just, I I don't like, like with a vision board, I can't understand like where to from here. When we reverse engineer a vision, when we make a five-year plan that gives you the, the tactical steps towards achieving. But what's also really helpful is those little digestible bite-sized pieces trick your brain into thinking, oh, I can do this. And I call that action gear. Anytime we're overwhelmed, anytime we feel like something's impossible, firstly, we just have to understand that is, that is those, that inner critic, those gremlins, your programming, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, just trying to keep you safe. So it's not about like abandoning your ego or ego death. It's kind of like honoring it. Like also saying, but in this moment, I don't know the how and the when I've not done this before. So thank you for your incredibly demeaning feedback. It's not very useful for me in this moment. So like, go look at my budget or go look at like refinancing my mortgage or like, go look, figure out like how, what I need to do to get my car running again, or like how I'm going to get out of this toxic situation. You're useful there. But in me trying to plan my expansion and my growth, like I actually need to put on a totally different hat. Firstly, start thinking about what it is that you want. And then when you reverse engineer it, or when you create that five-year plan and you, and you are able to break it up into, you know, monthly, yearly, weekly steps, not necessarily in that order, you you will switch into action gear. Your brain will go, Oh, I can do that. I can start checking my bank balances every day. I'll test it for a week or a month, whatever it is. I can smoke five less cigarettes a day. I can 
you know, start scheduling a conversation with that person who I'm continually avoiding, or I always have like a toxic interaction with. So at least I'm like preparing for it and I'm, cha- I'm pattern interrupting here. Right. And so the, the goal being that you take these huge, lofty, overwhelming activities, desires, wants, goals, whatever you want to call it. And you start to break it down into a, a bite that you feel like you can chew and swallow. <laughs> My analogies are all over the place as per usual. So yeah, anytime it feels too big, start to break it up and you will know when it's a small enough piece because your brain goes, Oh, I can do that. As you start to step that out, your brain learns, I can do that. And in fact, I can do bigger things and I can stretch myself a little bit further. Once you are practiced in that approach and you understand I'm capable of anything, I can do anything. Um, and in fact, you know, sometimes the planning doesn't even serve because it will always would always end up a little bit different than we had imagined. Actually, let me retract that because there are people who are so practiced in this, it shows up exactly the way that they visioned it. That's like master level, right? So then we get to this place where we've got everything we want. You know, I'm sitting here right now in this gorgeous resort in the mountains in Utah. If you had told me Utah, I would have laughed in your face. So that's a perfect example of like, don't get too caught up with the details. <laughs> yeah. Recording, recording podcast episodes, uh, listening to a river, watching a tree, sw- like a beautiful fucking pine tree. Sundance mountain is literally outside my window. Um, it's pretty epic. Yeah. This is all things I've talked about for years. So ideal day. I, I was living my dream life working in the music industry. I was working with one of my best friends who I will love forever and ever working with one of the best bands who were just the most amazing people who I, I also just cannot say enough amazing things about living in essentially Silver Lake, Los Angeles, traipsing around the world, going to festivals and working with the best people ever. And it was a dream and I was totally fucking it up. I was unhappy I had known that for me personally, the music industry always had a use by date. When I got into it, I fell into it. I answered a, 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 like I, okay, this will date me. It was a newspaper ad with a job listing. And it was one of those, like the music street press that actually used to be about music and not just about advertising and cannabis. Um, I answered an ad in a newspaper. I had no idea who the artists were that were being represented by this. And they actually thought that was a good thing. And they hired me. And like I said before, I was kind of a raging asshole, but, um, always, you know, my, my superpower slash kryptonite is I am a, I've been, this is shifting now, but I was a workhorse and, um, you know, I started as an internship and within six months I was working like 30 hours a week and my schooling was fitting in and around, um, that. But so it was like my college, you know, it it started off as an internship. I thought, oh, this will give me some useful skills. Um, I wanted to be a journalist. Then I wanted to be in public service. Then I wanted to be a lawyer. (laughs) I've I've still not narrowed what I want to do. I ended up just really falling in love with, with monetizing art. That's been another thing that I've always just had a knack for is enabling visionaries to ground and make money, monetize and create sustainable lifelong careers doing what you love. I mean that there's, I am so grateful. I I will never have the words to be able to explain what it's like to have only and ever (laughs) 
done what I love. And don't get me wrong. There's been some like wild ass shit that's occurred. Like the time I worked in a call center for an insurance company to make enough money to do South by, but I digress. Oh, right. So fast forward, you know, 20 years and I'm, I'm still in the music industry. And I had been saying every five years for that, like, that's it. I'm definitely not doing this past 25. That's it. I'm definitely not doing this past 30. That's it. I'm definitely not doing this past 35. And somewhere between 30 and 35, I actually, my mom got sick and I picked up and left Australia. I left the artists that I was managing, the businesses I was partnered in and moved back to the United States within sort of three weeks of finding out about her illness. And I thought, I thought my life was over. And I spent a couple months with her and realized this is not my role. I am not a full-time caretaker. And in fact, this is a degenerative disease in this moment. You're okay. And obviously like when you first get diagnosed with something like Parkinson's, it's um, terrifying, but you stabilize and then you normalize. And so I had already organized to go to New Orleans to work with the Jazz and Heritage Foundation the story is getting uh, very detailed, but so anywho, I ended up in New Orleans. I ended up running a music and arts nonprofit. I ended up working for the foundation. It was phenomenal. I ended up connecting with my very good friend um, every time she would tour and, you know, long, super long, not long, but story I'm not going to get into right now. End up in LA living the dream life, like living the fucking dream. And I was fucking it up. And I don't know if it's just because I had said so many times to the universe, I'm not doing this. Or if in reality, I at, I'm one of those people that once things get really good, I also like to sabotage it. I used to be one of those people. Let me reframe. I was that person that would sabotage it. I don't know what was going on. But at the end of the day, I was fucking up. And bless my wonderful friend, because we had a very, very transparent, very authentic conversation. I sobbed. And she let me go and say, you know, let me, let me go from the, the music industry. Right. But also like <laughs> she said, this is, this is clearly just not where you're meant to be and what you want to be doing. And that's fine. And here's a big fat check and take your time. This obviously isn't something that I expect you to just walk away from overnight, but like, you know, let's, let's transition out of this. And so I spent the next six months trying to figure out what the fuck, who, firstly, who am I? Cause I had no idea who I was if I wasn't a band manager. And then, uh, what, what am I going to do next? So I used this ideal day exercise and this was the, I had actually, I met a, a coach at my yoga studio and, um, I thought it's funny because at the time I, I asked her for a coffee cause I thought, Oh coach, like I kind of do that already with all of these artists and in these businesses and I, that's what I've done in starting. I mean, I don't know the specific number at that point, but I think it was somewhere, it was closer to 30 businesses. Um, you know, I'd, I'd always come on as an advisor and as an investor or someone who could save and fix something. And uh, that involved a lot of coaching, like especially the first nonprofit that I was the director of. Um, you know, I was, the board members were all a thousand times more quote unquote successful than I had been in my career but I had to turn this entire organization around and that took coaching. So I uh, had a coffee with her and obviously by the end of the coffee, I had hired her and she helped me. Why am I saying she, Amy Everhart, amazing, amazing coach. She specializes in, you know, badass women finding badass work. And so if you're, yeah, anywho, I love her. I always will love her. So big, big ups, Amy. We did this ideal day exercise where I closed my eyes 
and I envisioned my perfect work day. So, you know, I woke up in a white sheets and a white bed and like a lofty bedroom. I had a partner, I had a dog, you know, I woke up without an alarm, but I woke up early and I won't go through the whole thing, but you can, you know, you're touching on all five senses and you're literally going through every minute of your day. And I saw myself working in a home office on a, on a top level. I saw trees. I saw, you know, I was on the phone, I was on the computer. So that, and I, you know, I saw the house and I was traveling and I was speaking. And so I could sort of see how much income that would take. I, you know, very much narrowed the kind of work that I would be doing, but I still had no idea what. And there were a few years of um, different opportunities that transpired, but fast forward probably three years and I woke up in a big bed next to a partner with a dog and I did my yoga and my meditation and I made some coffee. I took the dog for a walk around the lake and I came home and I got in front of my computer and I opened the blinds and I looked out from the second story of my home on this tree lined street. And I went, Holy fuck. This is my ideal day. And that has now become the most powerful exercise for me and for everyone that I work with, because once you have actually done everything you set out to, you will continue to do so. And it starts to get really challenging to do the five-year plans and the strategy, because there's a part of you that knows this is lip service. I am trying to create a level of security and a guarantee and a step-by-step plan that I'm perfectly capable of achieving, but I also know it's, it's, it's going to be a wild ride and it's going to be different. And sometimes when you create those parameters, you miss opportunities because it doesn't look exactly the way that you thought it was going to. It doesn't show up as, you know, week six on week six. Uh, week three and month six of your strategic plan, you start to trust. All I need to do is see this. And I think that's where people came up with this idea of vision boarding. I, you know, we, we, you've heard my opinions on vision boarding. When we start to, to actually kind of let go of the reins and just know that you are being guided towards this vision that you have and you, you will not know the how. You will definitely not know the when. That's okay. You're moving towards this vision that you have. And every day you can take action, even if it's just thoughts, choosing thoughts and choosing feelings that are going to get you closer to this vision, you will be successful inevitably. You can't fail. The only way you fail is if you quit. Somehow I feel like that managed to go full full circle. proud of myself. If you're still listening, bravo, brava, I applaud you. And uh, yeah, that's, that's why your vision board blows. And all you got to do is just see an ideal day. 